Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. I've made the appointment. I don't know why. to self-aversion is a necessary gateway for awakening. 
It's not something to get rid of. Rather, the way we pay attention to self-aversion is actually the ground of the path. the other day that 
nine out of ten times when they speak to me, they talk about what they were, what was good for them, what how it used to be. And I shared with her the example of, you know, you're a grown woman now and you're trying to fit in a pair of shoe that you used to wear when you were two years old. So if you're trying to put your foot in a shoe that once fitted you when you were two years old, of course it's not going to fit. Of course it's going to be painful. And that's what we're going to do when we live too much from the past. Look at what's happening today. Look at what you can do for your tomorrow. But you know, appreciate where you've been. Appreciate where you've been. Because some of us have had a lot. We've lost it. And then we got, And then we got it back. Some of us never had a lot made it, lost it, and then got it back. Some of us consider maybe a lot is really happiness. Today, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our next guest. After graduating with an engineering degree and then an MBA from Ohio State, Paul Moore started on the management development track at Ford Motor Company and departed five years later to actually start a staffing company with a partner. They sold it to the publicly traded firm for $2.9 million five years later. And then Paul later on entered the real estate sector where he completed 85 real estate investments and exits, appeared on um, HDTV special rehab and managed dozens of rental properties, developed a waterfront subdivision, and started two successful online real estate marketing firms. Now, three successful developments, including assisting with development of a Hyatt Hotel, and a multifamily housing project led him into the multifamily investment arena. Now, Paul co-hosts a wealth-building podcast called How to Lose Money and is a frequent contributor to Bigger Pockets, producing live video and blog content on a weekly basis. Paul is now the author of The Perfect Investment, Create Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to multifamily housing and has a forthcoming book on self-storage investing. Paul is also the managing director of two commercial estate funds at Wellings Capital, and today we are so privileged to welcome Paul Moore to America Meditating Radio. Hi, Paul. Hey, Sister Jenna, how are you? Busy. <laughs> it's been one of those mornings. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great to be here. Same here, same here. I'm so happy to hear you. Isn't it amazing how life unfolds? Haven't you noticed, like, you start off in one place and then it morphs into another and then it connects the dot to another and connects the dot to another. And when you look back at your life, you might have thought to yourself, I can't imagine that I'm here. Stuff just has a way of opening up. And so what I'd love to find out is you've had a life as a serial entrepreneur, and you started over 20 businesses in as many years. Why did you end up devoting your life to multifamily investing, which isn't that quite different than what you did originally? Yeah, it's quite different. I started out wanting to be an engineer, and, you know, I didn't know myself. I actually, in high school, I was in no way qualified to mm. determine the course for the rest of my life. Yet I was asked at, you know, 17 or 18 years old to make a decision on going to college and investing a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time to prepare for a career that I actually, like many of us, never followed. And um, <laughs> so I don't know what the solution to that is, except I know that at least my two older kids have 
not, not even gone to college for years. And when they did finally, when one of them finally did go recently, he actually knew exactly what he wanted to do. But mm-hmm. um, it is amazing. I feel like I'm a million miles from where I started, but uh, I'm, I'm really happy for where I am. Congratulations to you. Now let's talk about the big why. Just yesterday I sat with a few friends and I was just asking them, why do you have a particular dominant thought pattern? And it was a very interesting response because some in the room didn't know why and others answered why because it seemed like the superficial thing to do. But there were a handful of us who just understood the why was it's because I thought so. And now when I look at where I am today, I don't think that's a thought I even want to have anymore. So you talk about the big why, and I'd love for you to share more why you say everyone really needs to have one. Well, mine might be a little different from that. I, You know, as somebody who became a millionaire uh, in my early 30s and then lost it later <laughs> and gained it back, <laughs> Um, I found that, you know, I wasn't any happier the day after I woke up with that money in my bank account than I was the day before, not a bit. And I know we all hear that and we we hear that in theory that we'd like to try it. But at any rate, um, I wasn't a bit happier. And um, I realized that if I was going to go into my older years just seeking money or just seeking success, it wasn't going to be enough. And then I think we all know that in theory, but I found out that it was really true. So, you know, I found out a couple of years ago that there were um, millions, and now I've found out tens of millions, perhaps even 40 million people enslaved around the world. And uh, so a big Y with a capital B and a W for me is to see oppression cease and to see um, slaves uh, released and to see um, uh, these people uh, set free from the horrors and the trauma that they have been played with. You know, if you took the, not the average, but the record profits of Apple, General Motors, Nike, and Starbucks, and added those together, and then doubled that number, that would be the approximate revenues annually generated by human trafficking. And um, it's a a modern-day horror. And, you know, I'd like to believe, Sister Jenna, that if I was uh, alive in the mid-1800s, I would be an abolitionist fighting against slavery. And I'd like to believe if I was an adult in the 1960s, I'd be fighting for civil rights. Well, this is a civil right that's been ripped away from tens of millions, and it is slavery. And um, I just, as long as I'm breathing, want to be using my influence and money and time to fight this great evil. And so that's a, a big why for me. Can I tell you that I'll be right there with you? Good. Because I get the same feeling even till today when I look at the atrocities and just the lack of empathy that we tend to express with one another. I still tear up feeling this is not the way, this is not the way. And, and maybe that's why I've been able to initiate 20 projects around the city and the world that have made changes, and yet still it's not enough. It's not enough because I'm very clear now, I might change later, but I'm very clear now that something within us has to shift. We have so much resource. We have a lot of information. We have a lot of tools. And still, there is ignorance. There's still ignorance. 
I understand that you, you know, your amazing story of what you shared, that you lost the million at 30, 30. I know the feeling. I made my first million when I was 24, and then I ended up with my spiritual awakening, and it was like Om Shanti. Um, what I'm feeling spiritually has nothing to do with the digits behind my numbers. And mm. I don't feel like I'm poor now. I, I don't have a penny in my pocket, but there's richness in my spirit that I just cannot deny. And you going from riches to rags and backstory, from the million that you had before and then at 30, do you remember what thoughts you started to have when you felt you were losing something and in reality you were actually gaining something? Just I know it's a long time ago, but do you remember? No, I can't say I really did uh, do. I, I I found myself in the fall of 2007 um, mm-hmm. with, in that, with lots of investments in speculative, semi-speculative real estate <laughs> and um, found myself $2.5 million in debt. And mm-hmm. um, I was actually, I remember one morning I was sitting in my chair and I was actually meditating and I had this really, strong thought. What would George Mueller do? Now, George Mueller was a German guy who was sort of a hellion as a kid, and then he went to England, and he had this wonderful experience with God, and he began to house orphans, and Mm -hmm. he did that with a penny in his pocket, like you said, and just basically on his prayers and his belief and his faith, he was able to eventually house a total of, I believe it was 10,000 orphans during the course mm-hmm. of his life, during the 1800s. It was the Ashley yeah. Down, I think, orphanage. He was a great story. Oh, My mother's an orphan. That's, that's why right. I know of him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in Bristol, mm-hmm. England. That's correct. Mm. And so I read his story, and I thought, what would George Miller do? Well, first of all, George Miller wouldn't have been in debt at all, so I already had one strike <laughs> against him because I didn't let that stop me. <laughs> I basically thought, well, he would do something completely outrageous. He would do something completely against common sense. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start giving my way out of debt. So I told my close friends who were encouraging me to declare bankruptcy. And I told my family, we're going to start giving our way out of debt. We're going to start aggressively giving a certain amount every week. And we did that in January of 2008. Of course, we had no idea that we were about to, as a nation and as, and as an economy, plunge off a cliff that year. Mm-hmm. We had no mm-hmm. idea how bad it would be. I might have been really nervous. But anyway, four weeks later, four weeks later, I was in a Subway restaurant talking to a real estate developer, and he gave me the spark for what became a light bulb idea to subdivide a five-acre piece of waterfront par- property into smaller parcels and I had already given up on the possibility of doing that, which was causing a lot of my debt, in fact, because I owned this property. And I went to the county, and I ran this idea by them, and they were just completely stunned and amazed. They said, this law has been on the books for decades, yet you turned the law on its head and found a way to actually use the law to allow you to subdivide. Most people find that they cannot subdivide. And um, they said, you're right, you can do that. And you know what? 13 months later, we, we continued to give an aggressive amount every week, and it was very hard, a lot of you know, pain and fear and things like that along the way. But 13 months later, 
we were completely debt-free. Wow. That's a great story. You know, I remember that for me way back in the day, it was a feeling of like I started to question what my potential would have been. Is this it? Is this me? Is this enough? Um, Did I make a mistake? And in a very unusual way, those thoughts were also driving forces to somehow convince me you're nowhere near that. This is not even anything for you. There's so much more waiting for you. I remembered I was in India, Paul, and I had taken down some donations that were made to um, a mission in India. And for some reason, I'm in an office, and the bag with the money I left. And oh. I never got that that much. Yeah, yeah. It just It still hurts today, but I never got that money back. But I remembered oh. sitting with one of the senior yogis, and everyone had heard about it, what was going on, because they kept their eyes out to see who might be spending a lot of money. But I sat with the senior yogi, and it was a rough period for me. It was one of those seasons where everything you did just dropped, broke, or something went wrong, you know. And um, mm-hmm. I was, sat in front of Daddy Janky, and I said, I think the end of my fortune has arrived. I think, I don't know, I guess I've used up all my good karma. I, I just don't know what's going on. And it was that moment she looked at me with this piercing look of love filled with light. And she says, huh, you think your fortune has awakened? It hasn't even started. And at that time, I thought I had arrived. And here she's looking at the soul at a deep level and is saying, it hasn't even opened yet. And that was like my turnaround. Like, yeah, I get it. There's always so much more to us if we just give ourselves a chance to allow that to take place. Your Wealth Building Podcast, which is How to Lose Money, well, that's a winner for sure. Why did you choose that name? You know, for years I would go to conferences and I'd meet people and, you know, we always heard these amazing stories from the speakers and I would sit around the table and I would see them. I would go to this father-daughter conference, for example, with my daughter and I would see the men sitting around the table kind of shrug like, like, slumping down over the table kind of like as they heard these amazing wonderful stories from the speakers of how great their families were and all the great things they did and all the great entrepreneurial and travel adventures they had and these men would say ah i have to work hard at my job i don't have time to do that and i'll never be that good I guess, and they, and I could hear the defeat in their voices because all they heard were these great stories. And it was the same at business conferences. I'd hear all the successes. And so I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great for people to start sharing their failures, their mistakes? And I got to know one of the speakers at this father-daughter convention, and their daughters got to know my daughters, and they said, oh, we fight at home. It's not like mm-hmm. you're at the conference. We, I mean, not only like that, they're a great family too, but we fight like cats and dogs, and we have problems, and we have setbacks, and we've had failures. And I was so encouraged by that. I actually took you know, heart. Oh, well, there's hope then. Because you know, anything, that, any, anything that you believe that's not got hope attached to it is under the influence of a lie. And yes. so I realized that if I was going to start a podcast, I wanted to talk to people about successful people, about their mistakes in the past and their failures and their pain and their losses. And if I could hear that they had mistakes and pain and losses along the way, but now they're doing really well, then there's hope for me too. 
And that's why we decided to name the podcast How to Lose Money. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. That's so perfect and so authentic. And even just what you've been sharing with me reminds me of a friend. I don't know if you've ever heard of Robert Smith from ICV. And Robert wants to do the same thing where he really wants to help people, especially people who are in that 1% or 4% category, to find a way to live a life that feels worthwhile. You know, we hear a lot about the 99% and the 1% or the 97% and the 3% or what have you. What are, would you share, few of the secrets used by the super wealthy to attain and maintain their wealth over generations? You know, when I was younger, I would look at commercial real estate, and, and I always thought it must be terrible because I'd see these malls that were flourishing, let's say, in the 70s or 80s, but then they were almost abandoned by the 90s or now. Mm-hmm. And I always thought poorly of commercial real estate, but then I found out that almost all of the Forbes 400 wealthiest Americans uh, are involved in commercial real estate. And I found out why in part because as we all know, when you go to, let's say you have a house and you're going to fix it up and you paid 300000 for the house in a $350,000 neighborhood, instead of adding 50000 to it to fix it up, you spend half a million. Well, now you have $800,000 in this house. You'll never get 800000 out of it because the neighborhood mm-hmm. doesn't support that price because the value of residential real estate is based on comparable properties. But commercial real estate is very different. You're buying an income stream. And so the value of commercial real estate is the income divided by the rate of return. And so if you can increase the income and if you can somehow compress the rate of return expectation by having a more stabilized, nicer property, then you can dramatically increase the wealth, uh, the value of the property, I should say, and the wealth of the investors. And so that is the secret uh, that we've found to, um, to uh, a wealth creation and wealth sustenance, and that's what we're promoting in my country. That's beautiful. When we had our first meditation museum, it was in downtown Silver Spring, and it was in an area that uh, is building up, and we knew that when we leased the property after about seven years, they would be, you know, redeveloping that area. I passed by that same location, Paul, and what was once just a one uh, a one level flat is now I believe it is 15 or 20 floors up with businesses wow. on the ground level and I just keep looking at that's how you continue to progress and make money not just for yourself but you begin to build a community. And that community can thrive because you're also offering job opportunities. And I love those ideas, too. Let's talk about accounts or CDs. Um, What are some of the strategies that you recommend for people to earn total returns of 15% or more, whereas banks generally only pay 1% or 2% on savings accounts or CDs? I remember when I used to have CDs back in the account, uh, back in the day, and I would just live off of the interest. It was never enough. It wasn't until you had to go into stocks to make some investments that things would turn around. But it just never is enough. So what other ideas could you offer our listeners who might be looking at doing some investments that would be more lucrative? 
Mm-hmm. So there is a liquidity. Um, there's actually, um, imagine a continuum in your mind. On the left end of the continuum, there's stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And uh, I won't put CDs in that category, but uh, because the return is so low, like you said. Um, but um, anyway, they, they have, it's very hard to see the, the actions taken at the business level of a stock of a publicly traded company and see that those actions are leading to profit and that profit is leading to a return on investment to the shareholder. In other words, the, uh, there, there's a inconsistency, there's a lack of transparency between the actions at the business level and the return to the investor because, you know, it might be based on the mood on Wall Street or a war mm. in the Middle East or oil prices, or, you know, some CEO scandal. But mm-hmm. um, at the other end of the spectrum, and, and by the way, at that end of the spectrum, there's very good liquidity. You can buy and sell. You can get in and out quickly. At the other end of the spectrum, it's not liquid. There's a liquidity penalty, if you will. You have to tie up your money for years. But Warren mm-hmm. Buffett and a lot of great investors have found out that it's the best way to invest, which is to tie up your money for years or even decades. And um, at the other end of the spectrum is commercial real estate, where you do have to tie it up for a long time. But the returns are predictable, stable, and they're often, with good commercial real estate, you know, often in the range of 12 to 15 to even 20% annually total returns. And we're investing in projects that even have a higher return than that with very low risk. And so that is the secret, I think, to earning those type of returns. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. Your book, let's talk about that, The Perfect Investment. You say that the American dream has shifted. And for an increasing number of Americans of all ages and backgrounds, renting is in and home ownership is out. I'm with you on that one, but mm-hmm. but tell me why is this? Yeah, you know there was um, the government uh, possibly a little over tampered, I think, in the housing market in 1995, and they passed laws that said that they wanted to encourage everybody to earn a, own a home. And at that time, home ownership was still thought, as it was to the 1900s in general, as the American dream. But the problem was uh, there was all types of uh, finagling done with mortgages and investments, and anybody who just said they earned enough money to buy a house could buy a house. They didn't even check. And a, uh, a, an acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine, actually, he, he bought a $600,000 house uh, as a second home when he was only making $40,000 in income. And... Um, so there was a lot of mistakes made, and then, of course, from 2005, or I should say from 95 to 2005, homeownership rose from this historical norm of 63% or so up to above 69% by 2005. And then it plummeted during the Great Recession and the aftermath of 2015 down back to 63% again. And there, um, a lot of people realized that Homeownership is not the American dream. A lot of millennials feel, why should I tie myself down to a 30-year contract on a seemingly overpriced home when I might have a better opportunity, job, or friendships across town or across the country mm-hmm. next year? Uh, a lot of immigrants come, and they don't have the means or the desire to own a home. They would rather rent, and they typically rent for longer. 
um, a lot of uh, baby boomers now, the largest, the fastest growing, the smallest, but the fastest growing segment of renters. And statistics say when they rent, they'll never go back to home ownership again. So because of these demographics, we believe that multifamily apartment investing uh, provides a really stable, predictable return on investment for investors. And that's why I call the book The Perfect Investment. Beautiful, beautiful. The many multifamily investors are now turning towards self-storage and mobile home parks for double-digit returns. Can you share why? It's just more profitable? Yeah. It's just easier? The real issue, so multifamily has this wonderful track record and this wonderful future, we believe, but a lot of people have gotten into it, and it's got quite overheated. And so a lot of people are now, including us, turning to self-storage and mobile home parks because they have uh, a lot of the owners are older. They started these mobile home parks or self-storage facilities in the 70s or 80s, and now they're in their 60s or 70s, and they're ready to retire. And a lot of these are really undermanaged, and they've declined over the years. They might be in a wonderful location. You mentioned Silver Spring. They might be in a wonderful location right outside of Silver Spring, Maryland, but they mm-hmm. might be operated like a mom-and-pop facility in a rural area. And you can go in and clean these up, fix these up, provide a much, much better experience for the tenants and give them a nicer place to live or to store their stuff. And by filling a lot of the empty slots and doing some marketing, you can dramatically increase the income and the return on investment to the investors. So that's why I say that. I love your vision and I love your thinking. The building that we're now in for the other museum, it's a beautiful building in in Silver Spring. And I think it has now maybe about 20 spaces in that whole building. And I can't tell you how many times I've told the owner, you can build up so much more here. We can do so much more with this building because it has such potential it's not even funny but you know again we all have to have the vision right that's really the big key the the vision and the drive to really make something that seems small into something that can be of more service to others um you might need to talk Mm -hmm. to him to inspire him because i i look at investments remember i come back in the days i know how to move it but now as a sister it's a little bit different (laughs) but you know, but yeah. I still have that capacity no. to see potential. I go, this building can become something so, so, so vibrant. You know, for for the community. I mm. want to go back to a little bit of what you shared in our opening conversation. The companies that you've set up, um, you've generated funding to fight human trafficking, rescue its victims. Thank you for that. Uh, that's such a delicate space to be in. Giving is important to you. What made you step into that place? Because even though many of us that have acquired a particular amount of wealth, we feel that giving to our family is good. We feel that maybe one or two investments that give us the return is good. But to go out of your way to tap into something that you know there's a need for a change in this particular area, what was going on in you deeply at a spirit level, at a soul level, that even something like getting involved with fighting human trafficking and rescuing his victims, how did that emerge? Well, there's a, a couple different answers to that. First of all, I really mm-hmm. do believe in the law of karma or sowing mm-hmm. and 
which was basically what I give, I will get back. And um, I've seen that over and over in a lot of different ways in life. So that was one thing. Uh, I felt peace that, you know, I wouldn't be wasting money by giving it away. Um, and I would be taken care of. My needs would be met. And so that was one thing. Secondly, you know, I just really saw that, you know, as a human breathing on this earth, I had a mission. You know, I'm one of almost 8 billion people on the earth, and I have a mission. I have a calling. I have a reason to be alive, and it's much bigger than having a nice house or a boat or a big bank account. Third, um, I've had three generations of my family who have been impacted by violence mm. toward women. And um, somebody from at least three generations in a row has been harmed in that way. And I've seen the horrible, horrible effects it has from even a one or two incidents that they had in their life. But these human trafficking victims, uh, they're they're harmed continually, daily, dozens of times a day sometimes. And the harm done to their psyche and to their emotions and to their body is just incalculable and I just felt like I wanted to do something Mm -hmm. yeah I get that feeling Uh, that's been a delicate area for me too I've done service in that area and because I know that there are a lot of energies with a lot of clout a lot of political and economic power it has become a challenging area to reduce at the point in your mind that it can be reduced, but we shouldn't stop our efforts of even saving one of those young men or women from that, you know, right. torturous way of living. Yeah. Now, you talked about meditation a little bit. You touched on that a little. Is there a specific kind of meditation that you do? Is that where you get your calm, or is your calm just because you believe in the law of karma, so you're not worried about your past? <laughs> Hmm. You know, um, as far as meditation for me, uh, I know a lot of folks try to empty their mind and they try mm-hmm. to empty their thoughts. Uh, and I would believe more in a type of meditation for me personally where I try to fill my mind. And I, the way I do it is I try to meditate on the type of person that I want to be and the type of, of vision that I want to have for my life and the place I'm going. And so I actually do, um, in in conjunction with that type of meditation, I actually do uh, declarations out loud, a couple dozen declarations in the morning of, you know, who I want to be, where I'm going, the type of person I want to be today with those people I interact with. And so, and I do that briefly before I come on a podcast like this because I want to give my very best. Oh, and you did, and you did, and you had gotten us in the studio when there were a million things going on. <laughs> but you know what? One of the things that I do love about life is the fact that we always get second chances. And I love the fact that each moment in our lives, it's a journey of renewal. It's an opportunity to learn more. And I think it helps us to become better citizens for our world. Right now, the world is in quite a unique place, and I couldn't let you go without somehow exploring uh, one of life's maybe deepest questions for you. And the one that I have for you is what would you want your life to be like in five years' time? That's a wonderful question. And um, I um, 
I, I want to be hell on earth would be meeting the man that you wanted to be, the man or woman that you could have been the day before you die. You have to think about that a little bit, but mm-hmm. I don't want to have big regrets. Uh, last night I spent an hour and a half watching, for the very first time ever, a video <laughs> of my kids, with my kids, from 2002, mm-hmm. and 2003, and 2008, and we had never seen it before. It was stored away in a we found it, and I found myself, you know, fighting off a little bit of guilt, like, oh, you know, I could have been a better father. Oh, I could have done this. I could have done it. So I want to live as a person without regrets. I think we all do. And mm-hmm. I want to be known as somebody who loves other people well. Uh, you know, there was uh, a commandment by Jesus that was, you know, to, to love one another and to love others well. And that's really one of the great goals of my life. And you know, I'm not going to beat myself up and say I'm not doing that very well. But I, I, you know, I've got a long way to go, and I want to do better, and I want to love others well, and I want others to feel loved when they're in my presence. You know, they say you people don't they'll forget what you do, they forget what you say, but they'll never forget the way they felt in your presence. Yeah. And I want to make people feel loved. Well, I won't forget you, Paul Moore, because you've definitely left the feeling of love. In this conversation, and we're talking about money, investments, and still, your authenticity was felt. So leave us with a website where we can find more information about you. And I think you're local. You're in the Virginia area. So I know that the community that we have our meditation museums in, I know that they would benefit so much if you would come and do a lecture and a book signing about investments and just about life. I'll definitely contact you about that later. Oh, wonderful. I'd love to do that. I'll be in the D.C. area in September, so that would be great. Perfect. Um, it would be wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. I'm Paul Moore, and it's been a real honor and a pleasure and a joy to be here. And I can just feel the love that you have for your audience and for me over this, uh, over this interview as well. So thank you so much, Sister Jenna. Same here, Paul. Looking forward to meeting you soon. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So we got a lot of tools today from Paul Moore, everyone. Uh, I'm sure he's helped you to find some ways to see how you could manage your time, efforts, money. But also what I took, if you were listening really intently, the authenticity of your endeavoring. I think that's the key to the success here that we all need to seek. There's so many people with a lot out there, and there still is an inner peace or contentment or calm. And so the important thing is to really just keep checking, what am I going to do? How am I going to show up in the world? What's my gift to humanity? So I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Paul Moore. If you'd like more information, go to wellingcapital.com. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission And we really are here to love each other the same. Got to end today's conversation with love and gratitude from Kristen Hoffman. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.